Here we are again, another Sunday morning, and isn't it, isn't it amazing sometimes how quickly they come, how quickly one week turns right into another. There are times that I know for, for our family, for Jen and I, we might even just be wrapping up a day, and we're doing some of our normal routine things that we do, and going in to check on the kids, and you know, pulling the contacts out of our eyes and saying some of the same things. And every now and then we'll be like, didn't we just do this like five minutes ago? And the, the time, it just seems to, to get away from us during certain seasons of life, doesn't it? The time just seems to go so fast. And, and sometimes we can wonder when there's this accelerated rate of, of time, where's it all leading exactly and what just happened what went on for the for the last week or this last season of of life where does this leave us where are we heading here thinking about this frequently it could be that we face some times of discouragement even as we consider that because we might think you know I'm I'm right here and this seems like the exact same place where I was and some of the things that I had set out to do or that I had hoped to accomplish or that I hoped would be different in my life, I don't see a whole lot that's, that's changed because here I am again. This times of discouragement as we consider those things can, can set in. Even for the, the faithful disciple, the one who's, who's wanting to please the Lord with his or her life and yet... We wonder where the, the, time's, the time's gone. You know, but there, there is a, at least somewhat of a, a temporary remedy to that sometimes, right? Because there can be seasons also where we're really anticipating something great that's going to happen. You know, as a, as a child, you can certainly remember back that, that time when you're anticipating Christmas morning to come, and, and you think about that, and, and the, the child isn't too worried about what has or hasn't happened because uh, all that's exciting is ahead, and they're anticipating Christmas morning. And, and you might be here, and, and you think, yeah, I've had times like that where I'm looking forward to a vacation that our family's going to take, or, or even just the weekend, just, just getting there. Again, I'm anticipating that, and so I have excitement over maybe something big that's going to, to happen, and that, that seems to be a bit of a, a remedy to that discouragement because there's anticipation, anticipation that we have. Well, I wonder what it would, would be like, and, and I think we know what it's supposed to be like when we look at the Scriptures. What would it be like if we were regularly looking all the way to the end that God has for us? What if we were regularly doing that, anticipating the great end that he has for us with him in heaven one day? Boy, that would change our outlook on the moment-to-moment just drudgery of, of life that it sometimes feels like. That, that would change our prayers, I think. It, it would just change our, our countenance probably in, in many ways as we fixed our eyes on what God has in store for those who call Christ Jesus Lord. Just to get our heads in this a little bit, because I know as we jump into something so huge like that, where we have to think to, to the end and where we're going to be for all eternity, it's not an easy place to suddenly arrive at necessarily. So just you don't have to turn here necessarily, but, but 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 55. Here's what we read there, and this just, I think, helps us to, to set our minds in this way. 
Paul's wrapping up his, his letter to the Corinthians, and, and he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this uh, I'm sorry, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come the, to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then similarly, just one verse from Peter, 2 Peter 3.13, he's also wrapping up his letter. And he says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So both of these authors wanted their recipients to set their minds on what God had for them to come, namely heaven, namely eternity with Jesus Christ, their Lord. That's where they were to fix their gaze. And so I think as we look here in just a little bit at the book of Colossians, we're going to, to see a little bit of that there as well. Uh, we're going to see, I hope, how true saints grow in the Lord. We want to be growing, right, in our walk? True saints grow in the Lord while anticipating heaven. As you start to turn to, to Colossians, there are just a, a few things by way of background to the letter as we jump into it. So we see as we enter into this letter to the Colossians, it was written by Paul with Timothy there with him. And reading the letter, we get a sense of a few things. He, he wrote to Colossae during his time of imprisonment, probably in Rome. Now, there was a messenger that was giving a report on how things were going in Colossae to Paul and Timothy. And we read about him in multiple times in the letter, and his name was Epaphras. So Epaphras was probably someone who was saved, uh, we think, if we try to, to tie a few things together, saved under the ministry of Paul, perhaps, and, and might have even been a, the planter, the church planter of the church in Colossae, at least had a, a place there where he was probably in a leadership position. And he's the one that, that comes to report what's going on in the church there to Paul and Timothy. You see, and there were good things that were happening in the church. We'll read about some of those this morning. But a lot of the, the meat of the letter in the middle is actually a, a report that there was some teaching that was happening in the, the the church there that was not according to the gospel that they knew. This, this teaching, and perhaps even a false teacher that was there, this influence that was coming in, was, was espousing some additions to the faith. At the very least, it was distracting them from the, the sole hope that they could have in the Lord. And so right from the outset of the letter, we'll see how Paul reminds the Colossians that they have a foundation in Christ, in whom they've set their hope. They have a foundation in Christ as Lord. He calls them saints or holy ones, those who are set apart. 
He calls them, he calls them the ones who are, who are faithful. He calls them the ones who are in Christ in the opening words of his letter. And so we'll read now from Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and I invite you to stand with me as we read from this passage. Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. Father, how good it is to be worshiping with my brothers and sisters, my, my family here this morning. Lord, and how good it is to, to have your word. Father, we thank you that we are not left to figure out life on our own, but you've revealed yourself through your Son, and you have shown yourself and shown the, the way that we can walk in your Son through your word. And so, Father... We ask for your, your help and your grace this morning. We pray that as we've, we've praised you with our voices in song, we would continue to exult in you as we open your word. Father, we know that Christ, when he left, did not leave us as orphans, but sent his spirit. And so we so long for the Holy Spirit to be present here with us as we look at your word this morning, teaching us helping us to, to understand and then to grow. So Lord, would you in your kindness do these things, we pray, as we continue to, to look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said a few minutes ago that, that true saints 
grow in the Lord while anticipating heaven. So a logical question in hearing that is, well, how? How does that happen? What do you mean by that? How do true saints grow in the Lord while anticipating heaven? And there's a lot of things that we could look at, certainly in the whole letter to the Colossians, but many things that, uh, that we could see even in these first 14 verses. I'd like us to look at three in particular this morning. So how do true saints grow in the Lord while anticipating heaven? True saints first display proofs while anticipating heaven. They display proofs in their lives while they anticipate heaven. I'm looking mostly here at verses 3 through 8 when I say this. And and we hear again that Paul and Timothy, they start off their letter with some gladness, with some excitement, with something that they're just delighted in hearing. Namely, that there are faithful people walking there in Colossae. They're, They're filled with thankfulness. And, and actually, this is, this, is one, this is one of those occasions where from verse 3 to verse 8, it's, it's all one long sentence in the Greek. Perhaps reflects a little bit of the, of the gladness that, that Paul had as, as he wrote this. I'd never get away with that in one of my seminary classes, writing papers that way. But Paul does, and, and, he's, and he's excited. And, and for, for our English-speaking eyes, it's split up into a number of sentences there. But, but they, are, they are so thankful to God for the way that things are going in Colossae. And, and he mentions kind of the, the big three that we think of with our Christian faith, right? He, he mentions their faith in Christ Jesus. He mentions the love that they have for all the saints. And he mentions the hope that they have. There's a hope laid up for them in heaven. So Epaphras has, has come back. He's reported to Paul and Timothy that there's genuineness that he observes. He is there and there is a true church that has its hope in Christ there in this little town of Colossae. And I'd like us to look especially at at one of the proofs of their genuineness there, and that's the proof of love. So so why this fruit of love in particular? He mentions it twice there in these several verses. Why this this fruit of of love? Did you notice there the the progression of Paul's thought? Why he, he said that there was love that they had for all the saints? Did you see that there in in verses 4 and 5? He says, you have this love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have this love for the other people in your church and for for me, for Paul and and, and Timothy, my companion here. You have this, this love for all of the saints because there's a hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So I think what Paul is saying here is that there's a there's a fuel for their love, and it's the anticipation and the expectation that they are going to be with God forever, one day in heaven with all the saints. They're anticipating this, and that fuels their love that they have for one another as they look to the end. He elaborates on this some. He doesn't doesn't just say it's about hope in heaven. He says, well, yeah, because this is part of the message that you heard, right? This is part of the the message that was proclaimed to you, probably by uh, Epaphras. 
You heard about this in the, in the word of the truth, the gospel. This is something that's, that's come to you, and it's, it's something that's having effect all over. You're a part of this great thing that's happening as, as people are hoping in the Lord and, and setting their, their affections on things that are eternal and, and anticipating their great reward in heaven one day. You're, you're a part of, of this. This is, this is where that comes from. The hope that you have is not just that there's a heaven that exists and Kind of like, like we might, might say, regardless of, of what kind of a funeral it, it was and whether somebody knew the Lord, well, they're in a better place. It's not that kind. It's, it's a kind that's rooted in the truth of the gospel, that there's been a place purchased for them by Jesus Christ who shed his blood. It's this hope in the, the gospel. It's this hope in eternal life. It's this hope for heaven. It's a robust hope that fuels their love. That's why Paul mentions it again there. I think at the end, he says in verse 8, Epaphras is made known to us. Your love in the Spirit. It's a love in the Spirit. So, so also, there's a confidence that it's been God who's at work. This isn't something about them just putting on smiling faces or doing a few good deeds or, or public acts of, of service. This is, this is a Spirit-wrought thing that's happening in the lives of the believers in the little town of Colossae. They're a part of this great movement of what God is doing in the known world at that time. Now, if, if, if you're like me, and I'm, and I'm sure that you are, you, you come to this point this morning, and it's probably been a busy week, and you've experienced challenges that have come from within and that have come from without, and you are trying to, to process all that, and, and you come to this place where we're to be worshiping God, and it might be just hard to engage with this this morning because you're in the trenches of so many different things in life right now. So to anticipate heaven, to be having your hope fixed on that, is, it's, it's tough to get there, and I get that. It was hard for me earlier in this week as well as, as I was trying to, to process some bigger things in, in life. But I, I'd submit to you that, that uh, if you're like me, you might be here this morning and you might be like a, a hybrid car who's out of gas, a bit out of left field, maybe. It sounds, why do they let the interns preach? You're asking yourself. Now, you might be like a hybrid car who's, who's out, of, out of gas. And I'm, I'm no technician. I don't understand uh, vehicles like my brother Evan there or many others of you here in this, this room. But, but I, I think I understand a couple basic things about the way a hybrid car works. And there, there's a gasoline engine that's part of what is making this thing, giving it its, its power, making it go. And there's also an electric motor and these two things work together to, to give this vehicle what it needs to move down the road. And you might be like one of those who's run out of gas today. And I say that because some of these, I think the Prius, at least at one time, it could actually run out of gas and still make it down the road for a little bit because of its electric motor that it has. No fuel in the tank but can still make a, a little process down the road. But one thing that's reported when this happens is that what you find is the driving is very, very sluggish. Really, the vehicle is barely working. You're making minimal progress down the road. 
And that's perhaps a bit how it can feel like when you're in the trenches of, of life or just trying to come to a place where you're really saying, I've got to set my eyes on the end. I've got to set it on heaven. Maybe this morning already you've faked several smiles. I mean, don't we all do that from time to time as we gather together, as we run into to certain people in life, we just almost automatically do that. You see, we all need fuel for our love, true fuel that helps us to live in the ways that God has intended us to live. This comes from, Paul says here, as, as he's, he's thinking about what's going on in the Colossians' lives, this comes from a hope that we have laid up in heaven. It comes from the truth of the gospel that Paul saw was at work in the lives of the Colossians. You know, I, w- I wonder if, if someone were to, to come here and, and join us on a Sunday morning and they were going back to, to report to um, so, someone, some friends that they had in another place of, of how that church is, is doing, what would they report? What would they see? Would they say, oh, there is, the Spirit is at work there. I see, the, I see their faith. I see their hope. I see the love that they have for all the saints. What would they say if they were here? Or, or, or maybe in, in our Sunday school classes or, or in our care groups. So let's get a little harder here. Maybe, maybe in our homes if somebody was around long enough to really make that evaluation. Would they say, the, the Spirit is at work here. These people are, are seeking the Lord together. That's what we see. That's what we would desire to, to take place in in our lives. And, and Paul says that's happening in Colossae because these people have their sights set on their inheritance. They have their sights set on the heaven that God has given to them. The solution's not going to be more smiles, doing nice things for others, but it's going to be us returning to our hope of eternal life and the giver of it. Time and time and time again. When we do that, the example that we see here is that this fuels love. This fuels the love that we're to have. So true saints, they display proofs while anticipating heaven. Well, how else do we see that saints grow from these few verses in Colossians? We also see, secondly, that true saints are in a process while anticipating heaven. True saints are in a process while anticipating heaven. See, all we know so far from from verse 3 is that Paul had a thankful heart and he was praying for the Colossians. He's made that known that there are prayers there, but then he he goes into all the things that he's thankful for and why, why he's thankful and what's happening in the world with the, the gospel and it's it's as if his his excitement takes over in that time and then we come to verse 9 and perhaps he takes a bit of a breath and he actually tells them what he's praying for them he says here's the things that that I'm praying for you and we see that he prays for this continuous cycle in life that would mark the colossian believers this cycle of of coming to to know the Lord more than walking in the things that they have understood, actually bearing fruit in their lives. And then somehow these work together and it gives rise to more knowledge. He's praying 
that this would be the case for them. Verses 9 and 10 there, just to keep them fresh in our minds, let's read them again. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that, here's what he's asking, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He, he wants them to, to be in this, this place where they're, they're knowing and discerning what God wants. And they're knowing and discerning what God wants because they, they have His Word. They have what's been set down. It's going to be for them, in this instance, the rest of, of Paul's letter to them. And so and the, the Colossians, just like us, as we have multiple messages always coming our, our way and, and things that we're going to be tempted to believe that undermine the truth of the gospel, the Colossians were facing that. And, and Paul has said earlier in the letter, oftentimes he introduces himself to churches as a servant of, of Christ Jesus. Here he says, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. I have the word of the Lord for you. This is what you need in order to, to know God more so that you can walk in the ways that you're supposed to walk. So the rest of the letter for them is going to be the word that they need to know so that they can be engaged in this, this cycle of understanding God more, going forth and doing the things that, that God has called them to do. And all of this being a part of, of building up their, their knowledge of Him more and more. So know God's word. Know what it says. Practice it. Put it into to work as the rescued saints that you are. And, and this is one of those areas where I think it's easy for us to get tripped up at times too. Because we hear that we're supposed to, to be about the works that God would have us to do. And, and sometimes we can forget about the earlier parts of this letter. You see, uh, Paul was, was assured that they were saved. He was assured that they had been saved. He was assured that God was at work in their midst, that he had done something to change their lives. And so now this working that they were to do was to, to flow out of that, to spill out of this knowledge bank that, that they have of who God is. They're, they're not seeking to earn their salvation here. That's, that's why the, the cycle just keeps going. You're knowing God more. You want to you understand who He is in relationship with Him. And, and as you're doing that, you're walking, you're going. It's building up your knowledge more and more. You keep coming back to the Word and seeing new depths of truth that you hadn't perhaps noted before. And you're growing in Him all the more. That's His, his hope for them. They're saved people that's already been clearly established and good works are spilling out. They're increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, all of us in this room, we're going to be perhaps tempted to go one way or, or another with this. Okay, perhaps we're, we're really good about you know, taking time in, in God's Word, really meditating on the truths of, of Scripture. And so, so we're, we're good at kind of the, the growing our big heads part and then others of us, are, are, our hands are strong for the, the task. And we just, we love to do, we love to go, we love to serve, we love to, to, to put in, in practice the, the things that, that we've heard on Sunday morning that are really good to, to do. And so the, the picture here, though, that we see of this cycle, it's, it's not just about big heads of, of knowledge. It's not just about our, our busy hands, but it's about impassioned, heaven-bound lives that we're all living as we're going forward 
in faith. He wants them to be rich in wisdom and in works. He wants them to be applying it in, in this way as they're growing. So this is what Paul prays for them. It's not, it's not directly what he's commanding them at, at this point, but he's, he's praying this for them. And so you can picture Paul there. It's as if he is, he's going to, to God as the, as the gardener of the universe, and he's asking God to give special attention to that, that corner of his, his garden, that precious corner where the earth is, and then to, then to really zero in on this little, this little town of Colossae, and then to, to look upon this, this sprout that he planted of the, of the Colossian church and says, God, do this mighty work there. Pour out, tip your watering can so that they can, so they can grow up into something that, that pleases you all the more. This is what Paul's prayer looks like for the church. And I, I wonder for, for myself and for all of us, what do our prayers look like for one another? Is there that kind of heat in them where we're saying, I want my brothers and sisters to grow and so God must pour himself out upon them. I, I want them to be full of what God has to offer are we praying like this for others? And then are we, we taking those, those prayers that perhaps others are praying for us, those showers of, of God, and are we drinking them in through His Word and then walking in accord with those words? Then coming back for more and more and more so that we can grow more seasoned and strong and confident in Him. Is that the desire of our hearts this morning? Again, most of us, we, we tend to fall on one side of the equation or another in what we're doing. And, and eventually what happens is the whole thing just breaks down and we become, become like that hybrid car that's, that's not really making progress down the road in the way that God intended us to because we're out of, out of gas. And we're not really understanding what it means to know the Lord and anticipate being with Him forever, fueling up that way and then and getting our, our hands dirty with the things that God has called us to, to do, walking faithfully, growing in the knowledge of Him. This is all meant to work together. And basically, uh, you, you hear these things, and what an elaborate prayer, how beautiful. And, and you know as well as, as I that you need a lot of help. You need major help here this morning. I know I am in need of that help. Well, Paul's prayer doesn't end there. So he's talked about how true saints, they're displaying these proofs while they anticipate heaven. And they're in this process as they're anticipating heaven. They need major help here. And true saints, we're going to see, need power. They need power while anticipating heaven. Paul prays a blessing over the Colossians. He reminds them once more of why they have hope, why it is that they have hope. Look at verses 11 through 14 again. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Power, power that Paul prays the Colossians would know. See, they were never going to be strong and faithful on their own, just like 
all of us here this morning. They were never going to, to do that on their own. This is just one more way that, that Paul says, look, the focus has got to be on our God, on our mighty God. That's been the message throughout the letter, even in the, just these first several verses that we've looked at. If you just kind of skim through, you, you notice these things. That Paul's been made an apostle, how? By the will of God. By God's will, he's an apostle. And who's Paul thanking? Is he thanking the Colossians for being such good Christians? No, he's offering thanks to God. The attention is there for the good things that he sees that God is is working. Because what else does he say? They've experienced the grace of God and truth. This all comes back to who God is and what he's done. And he's praying that they'd be filled so that they'd have this knowledge of God. That's his desire for them as he prays. He wants all of these things. And so he he wants them to be strengthened with this endless supply of power that God has to offer. It's going to be power for this patient enduring that they have to do as they progress through life. And he wants them to patiently endure with joy moving forward, he says. This is power for patient endurance unto the end, being joyful saints as they go. It's not that they would patiently endure just so they could make it to the weekend. It's not patient endurance just so that they could make it to vacation. It's not, it's not patient endurance just so that they can make it to that point if they're anticipating this of, of getting married. It's not to that this patient endurance so they can make it to a point where they might have have children they're waiting on the Lord maybe for that maybe that's you in this room this morning maybe if you're kind of on the later end of the children and patient endurance until the children move out and have life on their own see none of these things are our ultimate aim none of these things are what Paul is ultimately praying for them no he wants them to have their focus where where on their inheritance on their inheritance that God has, has purchased for them, that they've been qualified for through faith in the Son. That's what they're anticipating. That's what He wants them to have their focus on. See, the church had to remember that they now belonged to another kingdom. They were part of another kingdom, and they were there because the Father, through the pain of His beloved Son, qualified them for it. He just keeps turning their attention to the gospel, doesn't he? He keeps turning them, their attention to the Son who died to purchase what they need to have life eternal. It's through faith in him. It's through trust in him. It's the good news. It's the gospel message. He keeps coming back to that. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to get confused over what we should and shouldn't work for and what's going to make us happy or accomplished or powerful in life because so much of life is happening and there are so many things that we're responsible for. I saw an ad this past week for one-click home purchasing. One-click. One-click home purchasing. The, The tag phrase in there was, the exact moment you know you love a home, you should be able to get approved to buy it. That was the message from this ad. And so there's this, there's this image of this lady. She's walking through this, this house that she just adores and is just gushing over. It's just so perfect. She's, she's caught up into the whole ambience of, of the house, how it feels to be there. 
And she pulls out her majestic, mighty smartphone, and she clicks, buy a home. And she's got it. <laughs> Supposedly, these are the kind of conveniences. I mean, what are we going to have next that, that you can do with one click on, our, on your smartphone, right? Uh, these are the conveniences, supposedly, that sell, that we love, that we think are so important, that will make us happy or make us feel like we're accomplished because of the way that we can use our time and, and tick off certain things on a, on a list to, to get everything done that, that we hope for or have, a, have our, our, our time frame in life go a certain way. All of, all of these things that uh, we just want to, to happen in this nice, orderly fashion according to the way that seems best to us. And in this process, so easily we can forget that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven. We've been set free from our bondage to sin, that we have immediate access to the throne of God, and that one day we will be with him forever. I know that for our family, there were points at which we were far from this, <laughs> this week. There was one night in, in particular, and, uh, you know, things just hadn't gone my way. I mean, I know they should, but things just had not gone my way for the, the week and, and the, the way that the evening was, was playing out, and, and I was feeling some of that discouragement. And you know what? Guess what kids don't care about if things are going your way? Uh, they don't really care about how things line up for you a whole lot. And so they're just going along their, their merry way, not doing anything that's terribly, um, you know, disruptive to, to our home. But, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just down. And, and Jen, she could attest, she, she could just start to feel the heat in the house a little bit as, as Daddy was just not getting his way for the evening. And I tell you, folks, I was close I was close to just having one of those times where I was going to have to go in and apologize to my kids later. By God's grace, we, we prayed together as a family. We opened up the word together. Jen talked me off the ledge as we processed things together after we got the kids put into bed. And by God's grace, we were in a, in a better place. But boy, did I need to be reminded that my hope was not in things working out my way my hope is in my Savior and the place that he has made for me, secured for me, where I will be with him in eternity one day. That place where the Garden of Eden and the new Jerusalem will come together as, as one and we will be forever satisfied. I need that to fuel my love in my home and you do too. We're going to be tempted to either get discouraged or become very self-reliant this week. And day by day, again and again, we'll need to acknowledge our dependence and our unworthiness and thank our God. And thank our God for qualifying for us entry into his eternal kingdom. That's truth if we dwell on it. That's truth that will inform our heart and hands like nothing else will. We're going to be taking communion here in a, in a few moments as we continue to think about these things. And so I'd invite the men who are serving us to, to come up now. You see, the beloved son that we read about in this passage, the beloved son who purchased our redemption has also invited us to his table today 
to partake in communion. So in this act, we, we remember Christ, our Savior, who, who died, who shed his blood, who had his body broken on the cross for sinners like you and I. And so there's a, there's a sobriety to this time as we consider the fact that we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. But there's also, there, there, there's also happiness and, and excitement over the fact that he rose again. He ascended to the Father. He has made it so that we can know him through faith in his Son. And we anticipate his return when he will make all things well and we will, when we will be with him forever. So it's this mixture of sobriety and joy that we experience together at the Lord's table.